Hi, you're listening to Celluloid Cards Wallop with James and Gemma. Sit down and enjoy yourself, grab a snack and have some fun. Welcome to this week's Celluloid Codswallop. We are yet again reviewing the wonderful, brilliant series that is Picard. Uh, and I'm joined, as ever, by the wonderful and funny and incredibly mischievous Joanne. Joanne, how are you doing? Hi, James. I'm still alive. Yoo-hoo! So far, neither of us have touched wood, been hit with the dreaded coronavirus that is sweeping the planet and creating untold chaos and fear yes we, we actually had a conversation before we recorded right now about about touching wood and how the fast <laughs> masturbation may be the only thing that gets people through this isolation time well there, there was some <laughs> there was something that i read some theory where they're saying that people who uh who uh, masturbate um, suppose he will have like ability to withstand certain illnesses and things. Um, I think she's highly unlikely with something like the coronavirus, but I will wager there'll be an awful lot of men and women who will be, if they're quarantined and bored, will be probably putting this to the test and hoping it builds up their immune system. <laughs> it would build up your arms anyway, if nothing else. <laughs> if it doesn't work and you die, at least you've been wanking in the meantime. It's not all bad. Yeah, at least you would die reasonably happy. You know, you'd go out with a grin. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you cough while you're wanking, well, sure, that's just a wee bit more of an extra momentum that you're getting. <laughs> well, if you're sneezing, because don't they say a sneeze is meant to be like part of an orgasm or something, like an eighth of it or something? <laughs> that's a very nice measurement. Why do you measure that on a set of eels i've just sneezed hang on a second the last time i measured that orgasm it was approximately two grand what's this one? <laughs> it, it'll be the kinsey her study <laughs> <laughs> what was it uh, i can't remember uh thingy's hierarchy of needs oh yeah maslow's hierarchy of needs <laughs> gonna be. toilet roll is obviously the highest one on it at the moment given the, the, the madness that's going on out there. And pasta is second. Masturbation, probably around about third or fourth. Well, I've got to say that <clears throat> when it comes to toilet roll, I always buy toilet roll in bulk. I always used to do that from Costco. I can't actually do it now because, you know, Costco's going a bit mental or the shoppers are going mental. But all I will say is for all the people who laughed at me for buying toilet roll in bulk, who's laughing now? <laughs> Shit has happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, we mentioned this, Gemma uh, and I, when we do, we're doing the podcast, but we're saying how people, I, I get it to a degree why people are hoarding things like toilet roll and pasta and whatnot, but if you very specifically look at toilet roll, toilet roll is not, you know, as far as I'm aware, the coronavirus does not cause you to have uncontrollable issues with your bowels. So buying it all up, seems to be a tad overkill in my opinion 
Yeah, I don't even know whether it tastes that good because that's all people are going to have left to eat. That's <laughs> really going. Well, they could dip it in the tea and coffee, so it might be okay. Like rich tea biscuits. Yeah, I think that uh, the 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 great thing is that. Uh, for all the listeners who are still hanging in with us, we will get to Picard, I promise. And I'll even do you a Star Trek link on this one. So is it Gold Press Latinum is the, the commodity in uh, Picard, uh, in the Star Trek universe? It's now going to be toilet paper. And you're going to get like me with my long coat. Opening my long coat, no, before you say it, Joanne, not flashing. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, they tell me to stop doing that with uh, pieces of toilet paper, you know, saying, go on, which one do you want to buy? I've got, you know, two ply, two ply, three ply, <laughs> one ply. <laughs> First one's free. First shoot's free. Thought, yes. <laughs> I just thought, actually, we're talking about wanking earlier on. There's going to be a lot of rimming being done. Or maybe oh, God. <laughs> It, the uh, quality of the rim will completely depend on how much toilet roll you have in the house. <laughs> the good news is I did actually swallow my coffee <laughs> prior, <laughs> prior to you saying that. Cause, uh, <laughs> coffee every way. <laughs> I, I think we had this conversation before about swallowing, but whether whether it was whether it was left or not, or whether tech, technicalities lost that conversation, but I do seem to remember having that com- a chat before. We have. What, what I love at this point is that for uh, for for Gemma's fan base uh, and for Joanne's fan base, we get the people who are very interested in sort of like crazy mad stuff. I don't seem to have a fan base, <laughs> which is just. Although I have got one person on um, one person who said that they do give a shit about me. We mentioned the fact that I've, I've I've hurt my elbow, so I at least have one fan. But the beauty with you, John, is that I know you actually have a fan base who listen to it for you for the for the wonderful filthy stuff we discuss. Uh, that was that one person you told me about. I want yes. to have sex with her, but there we go. Oh, okay, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll pass on the message. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to meet up with this coronavirus stuff because it's stopping travel, but we'll... <laughs> hey, there's always WhatsApp. That's true. That's true. It's when I try and send you both a message at the same time and you just tell me to sod off. <laughs> <laughs> Who says this? Is yeah. this different from the last one that I got? Why, why? Oh, as well. <laughs> but... If we don't start discussing Picard now, we're never going to do so. <laughs> Without further to do, ado, whatever the term is, boom. So we open on episode eight, which is Broken Pieces, and it starts out with uh, Commodore O, uh, Commodore Roy Orbison, uh, going back. In, well, it's, it go, it's going back in time, isn't it? I think it's about fourteen years going back in time, and they're discussing that. In history, there are all these sort of like amazing uh, bits of civilizations and information that was being held. Uh, and there's all these these Romulans on the planet. Now, I was thinking that we gave Commodore O, uh, or I gave Commodore O the thing that really, because she's like the Royal Basin, she should have, um, you got it as her message, uh, her song. But I think I've got it wrong. Her song should be In Dreams. 
Yes, he, she uh, she should really sing to them. I have to yeah. agree, she should really sing to them because she tells them the weirdest load of shit, like about holding on to this grab reel. It's a wee bit like you know, whenever you're a kid and you go to a fairground or something, or spinny wheels in the play, you yes. know, the play. That's what it is. I was trying to think what it was. It's and, and everybody holds on and somebody pushes them. It, everything about part of the spinning round is happening to these women because they're. They've either dropped a load of mushrooms or they're all having one massive hallucination about what AI could do and the problems that it can bring to a civilization of some like 200,000 years ago. But they're all they're all, off, all completely off their tits again. I mean, what you really notice about all these Romulans is you've got to have good bone structure. Yes, and a tiny waist and a robe. Looks very shiny. Yes. And and very nice high cheekbones as well. So it's good bone structure, high cheekbones. Uh, but I mean, I like the fact that for some, you know, that the Commodore o, uh, is you know having her in dreams moment, and uh, <laughs> basically the, this message, you know, the, the idea is that basically you will see the message, uh, this future vision, and only the really mentally strong will. Uh, survive it and frankly she wasn't kidding because every person i mean they're all ripping the faces they hit themselves with stones and the ginger uh romulan who's in the mental institution starts ripping her hair out and going bonkers uh interestingly john and i uh favorite person ever uh uh, narissa is the only person who can uh su- survive this and She's got that. She's doing the old sultry stare while she's turned to Commodore O. Um, and it's a bit, yeah, it's. Mm. Oh, she looks good. She, um, she's just a fabulous Romulan. And what's nice about this is, she's, without spoiling the rest of the episode, she's pretty much replaced her brother. She is yeah. our gonna be our main adversary. And as much as you hate her for being so evil. You can't help but find her really sexy. And th- I think another reason why she's maybe so alluring, apart from the fact she's got fabulous cheekbones, hair, and she's just so damn sexy, is she believes she she's doing it for the right reason. With yes. the touch of stuff in there, but she really believes that she's on the right side. I mean, Rhonda is her aunt. We find out that that's yeah. actually her aunt. That was the one that had gone bonkers before uh, in the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest scene. And she couldn't deal with it. She was ripping her hair out. She was having a really bad hair day, uh, but, but which is still a lot better than the one who banged herself with a rock and another one who shot herself in the head with her with her phaser. It was actually quite well done because you know they're maybe going to go a wee bit mad. But the way it was dealt with, it was immediate and it was up close. It was quite nicely shot. It wasn't. It, it was enough there that you were seeing things, but you weren't seeing things at the same time. So it gave you the illusion that a lot more was going on maybe than it actually was, but it was quite horrific. I, I really enjoyed that bit in a weird way. Mm. I mean, I found it interesting though, that you've got a uh, Narissa who's, you know, I mean, I get it because Narissa's got to look sexy. She's got to look all this and she's, you know, very sultry and very much more human looking. Now, interestingly, Randa, her aunt has the old forehead thing. You know, the yes. old bumpy forehead. Yeah, I'm actually wondering, is she her aunt by blood? Because when we go forward a wee bit more and Ramda is in bed, she mentions to her about the fact that she had taken 
uh, Nerissa and her brother Narek in. Now, does she mean that she was sort of like not an actual aunt, but almost a surrogate aunt for mm. rescuing these two young Romulans? I mean, certainly Nerissa's quite, even though she takes her sort of the piss out of her aunt at the same time, she's very loving of her, but in in a sort of a standoffish type of a way. She's, she was the only one that survived the merry-go-round is, is Nerissa. She was the only one strong enough to look at the vision and ask Commander O, what do we do? How are we going to cope with this? How are we going to combat it? So I was kind of proud of her. I thought, that's our girl. <clears throat> what you also did see interesting, because again, I have it on now, is that the, yet again, her real hatred, disdain for the Borg you know, she she sort of like she's rolling her eyes about the fact that she's you know she discussed the Borg, and she, well, it's just very interesting, complete hatred of them. And then yet again, um, I mean, wonderful the scene then cuts to uh, Elnor, who is, I don't know, I feel sorry for Elnor because his heart's in the right place. They tr- you know, but basically found him the the Romulans go for him to try and attack him. They blind him with like some weird stun grade thing, but in his, you know, hats off to the kid. He still manages to fight his way out and he's doing a pretty goddamn good job. Um, and yeah, he's, it's all hand-to-hand combat. I mean, this guy's good. He can run up walls and then it all is starting to go horribly wrong. And this is where I hand over to Joanne because I know how happy this person makes her. Oh, my love, the love of my life after Nerissa. If uh, Nerissa's the devil on my shoulder, Seven of Nine is the sexy board queen on the other shoulder. Seven of Nine comes in, blasting away as usual. Hard as fuck. She is the Sarah Connor of space. That's how yeah. I see her. Yeah, she is the Sarah Connor of space, and she takes out those motherfuckers. Bit surprised she was, not just see Elmo on his own. Yeah. And well, she's looking for Hugh, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but it's very nice. I mean, you see with Elnor, because you can't, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I kind of like this thing where you forget a little bit because he is uh, this warrior that he's only, you, you kind of forget he's only young. He's completely out of his element and he is vulnerable. Cause he sort of rushes to hug her, doesn't he? And again, that probably ties into what you're saying about Seven now having this Sarah Connor motherly vibe to her. Um, and she does seem sort of taken aback by the fact that Elnor hugs her, but she's saying, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, sort of thing, and I'll look after you. And I thought that was quite sweet, actually. I like that. Yes, yeah, Seven has become quite clucky now and quite protective of people, maybe because she, maybe because more of her humanity's come back. There's still a part of her that will always be bored, but her mm. humanity has returned a bit more. I mean, she there's each ep, and there was the children that she actually looked after that time in Voyager that they had whenever the cube had become disconnected. In fact, they'd left, left these children behind because they were just seen as a waste. Um, so they didn't they never went back for them once the cube had become disconnected from the collective. And mm. each head was one of them. And now we've got Elmo. She's, she um, has taken, him, taken a wee liking to him. You know, mm-hmm. at the same time, she's thinking, OK, Kid, I know I need to look after you, but really, where's you? Because so far she's lost Echeb, and she's seen what's happened with the other yeah. the, the other Borg, and now she knows she knows deep in her heart something bad here has happened to Hugh, or he would have been with Elmo. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's it, it'll be a difficult scene, but I like the fact that you sort of seeing the the well, just the way the characters are interacting at that point. You know, the the, the whole setup for the thing, and it becomes much more apparent in the, within the episode the the importance of having the two together. But we then jump straight to them. Uh, they're, they're back on the ship. Picard uh, is back on the ship with Soji, and we're getting a very interesting reaction from the captain because he's in a state of sort of shock with the first land, and he's sort of really out of it. And uh, bluntly, Primus says to Picard, "When this, when we, you know, this is going to end fairly soon. I don't, you know, when I think see that when I drop you off, this is over." And Picard's shocked. Um, and again, he's having to, and understandably, he's having to implore to Soji and say to her, look, I, um, you can trust me. Well, we'll, you know, you can, we'll find you somewhere on the ship. You can stay in the cabin. Things will be fine. It'll be great. We'll, we'll get everything going. And I love what then happens with Rafi, though. And Rafi, really, at this point, is the voice of reason. She starts saying, look, we've got all this crap that's going on with uh, Agnes, where she's turned out to be this complete, you know, turncoat on us, and you're just bringing this girl, this cyborg, android, whatever, on the ship, where we know nothing about them, and she pulls a gun on them. Yep. I was actually kind of impressed with Rafi through this episode. I think her character has definitely started to come into its own, whether it's because as the actress she's feeling more comfortable now, and she and she's getting a slight, she's getting better writing. But yes, she's she's shocked at Picard doing again what he had done with Gerardi. And and the fact is, she she or rather Picard challenges her when she says, Look, I yeah. just turned out to be a Romulan a Romulan spy. And that fucker Picard doesn't believe her. And I think, come on to fuck, mate. You don't know what's just happened. They have just witnessed somebody um put themselves into a coma and admitting practically that they're you know that they're a Romulan spy. Mm. by their actions and, and once again you don't believe her and Bacar didn't believe her the last time whenever she was talking about the conspiracy the time that she was put out of Starfleet and he turned her his his back on her and again he's doing that and at one point I love she says to him you know this is Soji you don't know her uh, what do you know of her what do you know of Soji and right now mm. right at that one time all I could say out loud was oh, she says what do you know of Soji what does she like and the first thing I thought was big dicks and vodka. <laughs> but the thing you would think also, I mean, you, what you raised there is a really valid point. You would think with all the stuff that Picard had been through with Rafi, with all the things she's done to help him, you know, she's procured the ship for him, she's got him the crew, she's sticking up for him. She was either his first officer or his number two officer. You would think there would be a level of trust over, you know, some doctor who he sort of knows but doesn't. Um, and he's only known for a short space of time. Mm-hmm. If I was Rafi, I'd say, look, mate, I'll tell you what, fuck yourself. Because this is not the first time I've seen this happening. And we've witnessed it now ourselves several times throughout the episode. He has shafted her royally. And this yeah. is another occasion. When Soji came on, actually, and seeing Rio's reaction to her, I thought maybe he was thinking, oh, no, there's another woman I'm going to have to have sex with. Maybe that's <laughs> what it was. He felt, he felt the, his loins stirring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's possible. 
that maybe Agnes had wrecked him for other for other women. After having sex with Agnes, he maybe thought I could never have sex again because that pretty much destroyed me. I feel physically ill. And then he's been <laughs> overcome with nausea. Whenever Suji's come on, I get there's another woman. I'm going to have to have sex with her. I can't do this. It could well have been that. And then he'll have to turn his attentions to Picard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's still life in the old fiddle yet. Uh, well, I would say Picard might, I mean, he'd be, he'd be ribbed in places probably you wouldn't expect. I mean, what I would say with Picard is he looks in better condition, doesn't he, than where he's looking all frail and tired in one of the earlier episodes. He looks a bit more with it and happy. And I think that's like a thing they employed uh, going off base for a minute onto a different show. But when they had an episode once of the new X-Files series that came out, they were very much looking at the idea that within the show, Scully's the character Scully was feeling sort of like she was getting older and she wasn't feeling like, uh, uh, I think, sexy. It was something like that. Anyway, she ended up, re- you know, having, you know, her and um, Mulder went to bed again. But what I, I found really amusing is throughout the entire episode, it was very evident from the episodes before it, Gillian Anderson, who is a very sexy woman, looked even more sexy than normal throughout the entire show. And I remember saying to my friend at the time, said they'd, they'd really put the effort in to make it look really, really hot to make a point. And it's like they did with Picard to make him look really, really tired and worn out to make a point. They also did that once in a film called Entrapment with Sean Connery, where supposedly when everything had gone horribly wrong for his character, he looked absolutely knackered. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it certainly did a good job with Picard because, as you say, he's looked he's looked more alive. A couple of times, you could see the frailty when Troy was talking to him. I thought that was quite nice that he let his guard down, mm-hmm. but he was still sort of still trying to be slightly blustery with Riker. I mean, as you pointed out, he was still calling him number one and commander yeah. rather than even just Riker. I can't remember Riker's first name. I always always just think of him as Riker. Well, uh, William. Well, that's it, Will. So he doesn't even, you know, he wasn't even calling Will at times. But yes, Picard's definitely got his lease of life back again. Um, I haven't seen the, the walking stick now for a few episodes. True, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to, it'd be interesting. You, you may be right. I don't can't really recall Picard calling uh, Riker Will. Which you thought he would have done at some point, but who knows? Anyway, um, so we cut to the uh, the medical bay and the EMH is actually doing something. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, the EMH is going. Fuck me! It wasn't my fault. She turned a, she turned uh bay off. A pardon the expression. She would turn you off right now, Agnes. This is Agnes. <clears throat> yeah, he's explaining that he was a uh, disengaged, as it were, switched off at a critical time. That in fact, Maddox's uh, injuries weren't life threatening but that uh, Agnes had switched him off at a critical time. I th- he's, he's almost panicking. I, I kind of like that but because the uh, EMH in Voyager was quite buff and bluster. I loved him. I thought he was brilliant. But this EMH is kind of slightly floppy. He, he goes into a wee bit of a tailspin whenever things go wrong. Hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it, it sort of makes you wonder. But anyway... Uh... Because we we questioned, weren't we, how on earth the EMH could not have more information, know what was going on. So basically, again, uh, Picard gets a bit of a dressing down from Rafi, but uh, 
we then cut to Picard going to his hollow uh, holographic uh, study. And he gets to basically do a massive sort of fuck you to the, uh, well, it's uh, Christine, uh, sorry, Kirsten Clancy, who's the, I assume the, the, the commander in chief or whatever for the uh, for Starfleet, the, the highest level of admiral, to basically just say everything I told you, it, well, it's her hologram communicating with him, but to say everything I told you went wrong, went wrong. Yeah, he uh, he says we need this, we need that, we need that, and blah 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 blah. And giving giving Clancy a right telling off, and she says with you all due respect, uh, Picard, fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and I that was a wonderful moment because she put him completely on the back hoof, and yeah. uh, she, she she what she basically says is she agrees. She now yeah. knows there's a problem, and uh, I love that. It just took the complete wind out of Picard. Because he was given off. He, he felt so vindicated with everything that had gone on. It was a kind of he was building up to, I told you so. But she just came in and he capped him. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Mm. Well, she basically just told him, she says, like, with all due respect, is it with all due respect? Uh, what I wanted. Yeah. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to rewind because we've literally, uh, on the showing, we have got to that point. And Joanne, you were so close to actually saying it when she said it. Uh, but she's getting very worked up. Cause she, yeah, because she says, like, I want an apology. I want this. I want, uh, no, she's saying to Picard, do you want an apology? She's saying, I want all these things. I want ships. I want all this. Uh, we've got to do everything. And she says to him, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, come on, run on. Yeah, he's he's really going away great guns, isn't she? Then she says, well, do you respect him at long last? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> At long last, shut the fuck up. You couldn't, now, there are some people, as always, clutching their pearls in the Star Trek universe, going, oh, no, I curse all the time. It's really unnecessary. But to me, it pretty much just nailed the scene. It it truly did. I I thought it was a necessary fuck. I mean, yeah, I was like, yeah, again, more swearing. Clancy clearly has a filthy, filthy mouth upon it. (laughs) So we go to the bridge after that because Picard's like really happy because he's got what he wants. He does the punch in the air sort of thing. And yet again, we're getting the slightly weird camp uh, EMH, one level of it, which is the EMH that is the navigation, where uh, uh, Rafi's trying to learn more about why the captain had this really weird response to uh soju coming on board and she also asked the obvious question she's why the hell are you all basically looking like <laughs> the captain yeah everybody's a really bad cut and paste of the captain apparently whenever he initiated the, the emhs he had a self-replica mode the mm-hmm. problem is each one of them is culturally offensive <laughs> yes <laughs> oh god I mean, to me, the Spanish one probably looks the best, but that's maybe me being culture, culturally insensitive. But the Scottish one, I mean, if he's supposed to be Scotty, because he calls her Lassie and all, she says to him, don't call me Lassie. Yeah. He's just, it's just, it's like somebody's gone, how can I be very insensitive with every single accent? He's not even trying to do the Proclaimers accent, which he could maybe have got away <laughs> with. That's really bad. Or even Ewan McGregor's Choose Life one. It's just, her, her is it's another bad accent but we do find out that uh, that Soji uh, there is a connection there because he knows her as Jana so you're going mm-hmm. who is Jana and why has the captain reacted 
so badly to see in this girl. So uh, immediately I thought, was Jana a no love interest that just happened to look like Suji? Yeah, I had that too. I mean, what I've noticed is that the, what do you say about the, the, the mall being like an offensive stereotype? Um, the the one one little cool thing that I like that all the holograms do is that when they do a data search, their eyes go white and they have like a weird interface moment, which they all had. But what I find interesting is when Rafi kisses the uh, the hologram that's designed to be the uh, uh, navigation, she kisses him as a thank you. And he has like a very, I don't, is he meant to be camp or gay? He has some weird like face hold moment that I, I, I don't get it. It's again, cultural, you know, culture insensitive grabbing the face. I, I don't understand that. Why, whether it's meant to be just comic relief, I don't know. It's a strange one. Mm, I haven't noticed that. I, I'd have to watch that wee bit again. Certainly he's a, he's another one that's, that's, uh, I mean, he was one actually, I thought, well, there was the hospitality hologram, but I got the impression as well the last time the uh, the emergency navigation hologram appeared, that Rios really didn't like him at all. Because mm. he was the one that came to Rios and said, would you not like to work for another captain again? And Rios says, no, the last time that happened, last time I worked a hero, I watched him blow his brains out. Mm. And he was really very, very dismissive and quite defensive of that character. But then... I suppose in some ways we are, we are our own worst enemy. And if you have yes. five, what looks out to be five versions of yourself running around, speaking in, you know, in, in really daft accents, which would drive you mad, but they'd be continuously reminding you of your own faults. Yes. Because they know what goes on inside your head. So he probably, maybe one or two, I could understand having an EMH, but he could have had a standard EMH. It didn't have to be one that, that was exactly the same as himself. Mm. Is there a touch of narcissism there with Rios that he thinks he's so damn good that if he just made five copies of himself, everything would be tickety-boo? Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I mean, I think really the only push for the AMHs is to uh, keep giving the actor something to do uh, and to give us some sort of comic, comedic element. But at least we get to be dragged out of that weirdness with the uh, the hologram. And we get then taken back to the Borg Cube, where we see our uh, wonderful uh, Peyton Liss playing Nerissa, uh, who obviously then finds the... Because what happened is uh, Elnor had found that wee little thing for, built, for bringing people who were the peacekeepers uh, in. Uh, and then, of course... Elnor's managed to bring Seven back, who is walking around with all, in all her badassery, and takes them to the Queen, whatever, uh, that the weird Queen room, uh, where she basically has to, you know, she's making quite a difficult decision, isn't she? So saying that she has the ability, as I understand it, sort of as a, as a Borg, to take control of the cube. Yeah, she can um, she can effectively set up her own collective, a, a local sort of like um, a local area network <laughs> that she's mm. going to set with, with the the Borg that are currently on board. Because Elmo says, "Can you not assimilate them?" And she what what assimilate them? Take away their 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 individual individuality? And he says, "Well, then sure, you can just release them afterwards." And she has to explain to them, it's not just that easy. They may not want to become individuals again, and I may not want to let them go. So that's that's a terrible thing that she has to make a decision on. 
a really, really, really terrible thing because she mm. knows how ter- how awful it was and how difficult whenever she was separated from the collective and Voyager and the fact she demanded um, to become that she wanted this board needs to become part of the collective again. She was always speaking as a um, a sort of like a group, you know. They mm. they didn't have individual thought. So the thought of taking every one of their individuality and adding it to, to her own, it would have be, it'd be almost like a form of going home and then mm. she would have to release it again at, a, at, at another time. But the the CGI is fantastic at that part. She's oh, spinning face yeah. and throwing things out. And, uh, Will Wheaton's uh, Ready Room was very good because he did an interview at this for, this time with, um, with uh, uh, Jerry Ryan and the guy that plays you. And uh, he was he was joking, said, you want to see the hack of her doing that scene uh, whenever there wasn't anything in front of her and it showed you them shooting the scene and her with her hands waving about all over the place and how, how silly it looked. But it was beautifully done the way the the way the wire drops down and goes into her spine to connect her again to the cube so that she can mm. she can run the system from there. So well done. And when her eyes turn black and she says, we are Borg. Oh, it's just chilling. Well, you jumped a wee so, bit ahead for us. You jumped a wee bit ahead, but but I agree, I agree, it's brilliant. But we they then cut to basically a, a scene between uh, Soji and Picard having dinner, and they were well, they're having some sort of meal, sorry, maybe not dinner, but Soji hits upon the fact that because Picard says to you, you know, is the food okay? You enjoying? It? I think it's like eggs she's having, and she's basically saying, well, I am, but. I don't really know if I am. Do I really like eggs? You know, she's doubting herself because to her, everything is just a programmed. She, she, well, you question your own reality and ask yourself, well, are all the things I'm feeling, are they even real emotions? Am I just feeling something that has been programmed into me to feel? And she then starts to, uh, well, they're having a, a, a conversation. They're asking about data. Uh, and she's asking what it was like with her in, his interaction with data and she asked the interesting question what did you like about data which says did he did data love you and because picard discussed all data's brilliant abilities but he's saying that obviously you know it was limited for him to be able to express his emotions to people and to actually process emotions um and picard interesting gives you insight into himself there because he says it's a problem that i myself had that I couldn't really sort of open up to people. I couldn't really process things properly. Um, and then it gets very interesting. I'd like to know what you think of this, John, because she starts asking, like, well, if I was looking at him through, looking at you through, through data's eyes and emotions, what would he see? What would, what do you think he would see? How, how would you want to be remembered? And he starts discussing, um, well, if I, if I had uh, not survived and it had been Data who'd survived, he's saying about that I want to remember as somebody who did my best to help Data find his potential, people find their, t- their potential and succeed, and I would help him when he fell short and things went wrong, and to help him find his way out of things. Um, and that's, you almost maybe saw a bit of a, maybe a father-son relationship that he had with Data? Maybe did he feel that way with him? So he was helping him find his way through life? Yeah, it's... it's Yeah. Probably... Um, there's, I know because... Is 
hinting that he's not sure whether he's capable of love. Mm. But if he's not capable of love, he's capable of enormous respect for someone and fondness, which is nearly the same thing for some people. Uh, I thought it was thought it was an interesting take how he sees himself, that he believes that he was incapable of certain emotions. Um, I wonder, is because after he lost data, he had been locutus of board. Is that a reference to how he felt processing emotions after he had become assimilated or even before he had been assimilated? I'd like to know when he thought he stopped feeling emotions in some ways, when he stopped processing. He has always been slightly distant from his crew. He didn't play poker with him at the weekly ones. In fact, the only time he only started playing poker with him in the very last episode. And he said, I wish I'd done this before. And the crew and his uh, his senior management said, you were always welcome here. But he never really mm. seen that. And you do see that with some people. Sometimes it is very easy to become disconnected, to let yourself go and be the real you because of fear for rejection. And I think the weight of the whole crew on his uh, he didn't really date very much within TNG. I think there's one instance of him dating another officer, but in the end, either he he transferred or she felt obliged to transfer because it wasn't working between the two of them because he couldn't disconnect her being an ordinary crew member from being his lover. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a very nice thing. Funny if I'd completely forgotten about that and, and jumped way ahead because I got excited about Seven of Nine. I think it was a necessary scene and I think it was maybe necessary for the character to get something off his chest for him to have um, put the whole data thing maybe to bed. It's probably the closest he'll ever get to telling data how exactly he felt. He might have been having cheese dreams about data, but that's different. Here was a chance for him to actually practically talk, <laughs> practically talk to data one-on-one after data's death to say, I, I was always there for you, and I hope this is how you've seen me. And it was mm. quite nice, because she then finishes the conversation with, he he, he loved you. Mm. Even though he, he... Now, Picard says that, that Data wasn't capable of processing emotions. It was quite evident he was, because he got a... Did he not get a chip from Dr. Nunian Sung eventually? I know Lore had stolen one and went off the rails with the emotions, but I thought Data had actually eventually got a chip. Uh, from from his creator. Yeah, so I think what I think if what happened on that one is data. They put a chip in data. Well, the this is going off my memory, but the chip was supposed to go in data, but it ended up going in law, and it mm-hmm. really sort of it, it re, I mean, t- turned law even more screwed up than he was. Um, I think. In memory said, did Law get killed or something at one point? And that's where they've got the chip. The chip that goes into data in generations, I think, is the chip that's supposed to have come from Law. But the point Picard was making was not that he had no ability to uh, to deal with the sort of process emotions. It's just that he he couldn't do it probably at the complex level of a human or, or that something the way a human could. Um Interesting, going back to what you said about you know Picard dealing with people, uh, he's always been very much a, he has always been distant, uh, distant with people. I guess the problem is that you know they and they do say and having asked uh, certainly my father about this one that the thing of that the comment of it's lonely at the top 
and my dad said that is a real thing it does become lonely when you achieve you know the chief exec sort of thing that you are there is a loneliness to that job and you're making some very big decisions on your own but picard it's when he made the bog comment if you think about it picard was stripped of his humanity and when he goes back in the in the series to his family to see his brother he has that moment where he has like a breakdown doesn't he Mm-hmm. Uh, emotional break when he's fighting his brother and says, and they strip me of everything. They strip me of who I was. You know, these things were happening and I had no control. I could see all these awful things happening and I had no control over them. So there's probably that element where Picard has been emotionally damaged and maybe has a problem interacting with people and opening up. But it's also, if you think back to generations when his family have died, when, uh, when Troy says to him, something clearly isn't right. You know, because he's looking over the family album. He, he sort of responds with, well, tells her the awful thing that's happened. But then just says, well, this it happens. These sort of things happen. And she's saying, well, that you know, it's all, it's all right. These things happen. You've got to get over it. So he's always been a really closed, emotional human being, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the other thing I think maybe he's forgotten as well when he's been talking to Soji about her, 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 her having an understanding of what her history really is. Um, I wonder, did he forget that he once experienced, just for that moment, um, a whole lifetime? There was a, an, an old alien race and they came across, across mm. an artifact and they beamed their experiences right into his head and he believed that he was living, that he had been transported somehow onto their planet and uh, he he. He had children with somebody, he had a wife there and he had children with him and grandchildren and eventually the planet dies and he learns to play the flute. But he's, yes. no, he didn't, couldn't play the music before, you remember? And from that, the, the one thing that stays with him is the notion of family and playing this musical instrument. He becomes, because he's seeing practicing again later on PNG. So in some ways, it's very good for Soji to have him to talk to because he knows exactly what it's like to have false memory syndrome. Yes. He knows what it's like to... Firmly think, oh, that happened to me, but actually, it didn't happen to you at all. Mm. I mean, can you imagine how psychologically messed up Picard would be? Yeah. All the things he's been through. In reality, you wouldn't want him as a Starfleet captain because <laughs> he'd be a risk. <laughs> yeah, there's an absolutely fantastic episode of Deep Space Nine about uh, Miles O'Brien, you know, the chief engineer, and yes, he goes to yes. some planet and was an accidental fupa and they they sentence him and he's only he's under some sort of coma for about half an hour but in that time he believes he's been out he's served a, a like prison says something like 20 or 30 years and it's him trying to deal with it like come back from like a prisoner of war how he deals with his family what happened to him when he was there he, he believes he's killed a cellmate as well over food and it's absolutely harrowing but it all happened in the space of 20 20 minutes uh, and again that's that's false memories as well that was a very powerful episode i think there's some similar in one of the old the old ones where somebody somebody grabs a stalactite or stalagmite in some cave and they believe for a moment that they, they, they live a complete lifespan in the space of a matter of seconds i can't remember it's been so long since i've seen the rest of the old series that i can i can't even remember what the episode was but that whole idea of experiencing something in your mind, but not in reality, and that you can't separate that. Sometimes we build like dreams, but like whenever you dream after you've eaten a load of cheese, 
you're really not sure what's real when you wake up the next morning. That that I do. That I do. Was, uh, to explain, Joanna and I were discussing the fact that I yet again fell into the trap of eating cheese, which I have since learned has a real impact on my dreams. I was having very vivid nightmares uh, uh, and a weird dream where I was trapped. That I hadn't mentioned to you, Joanna, a weird dream where I was trapped in London. <laughs> Followed on. I I, I honestly, going off to it, I had the nightmare and then two of the separate dreams. I can't remember the final last one, but I don't know the weird one where I was wandering around London lost. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I wasn't even eating cheese last night, and I had a weird dream that I couldn't remember what the bar was in the town that I grew up in. And I kept waking it up thinking, what was the name of that bar? What was the name of that bar? <laughs> when I got up early this morning, I had to Google the name of the, these weird dreams that we have or false memories can have quite a, can have quite an effect on you. But for Susie, I mean, her, you know, she doesn't have any reality that she can ground herself in, apart from no. possibly what's been happening for the last few weeks. And it would be terrifying because if you think about it, I cooked a meal early today and had a, a thought about the, the ingredients that had gone into it. And I thought I had a memory of something my mother had once cooked for me. And that's a very tangible, real thing that I knew that happened. But going back to the last episode, what on earth? You know, like when Troy was sort of saying, this girl has got all these things that she thought was a reality that aren't. And nothing that, she, that Soju will know is real. There's nothing she can pin anything on. Um and it becomes more apparent in the episode that, that, that there is far, you know, the whole thing of the false memories and the uh, and the impact upon you and the things that are written into her come to play. On a light-hearted note, we then cut to the uh, the emergency uh, engineering hologram, who has a, a excellent Scottish accent, Hardy Har. <laughs> now, in Star Trek's defence. Excuse me. They've never had a, a Scottish engineer actually played by somebody who's Scottish. They've had a Canadian, <laughs> and they've had an Englishman, both uh, doing Scottish accents. And in this case, I have no idea. With a name like Santiago, is uh, is the man who plays the captain um, Spanish? <laughs> I do not. Know. I do not know. But he's for some reason the the uh, the uh, engineering. Um, uh, hologram. Uh, he's dressed like a someone who should be on a trawler. Yes, and I got myself mixed up earlier. I started talking about him. I'm talking about Lassie, and I forgot that there had been the scene with, with the English sort of EMH the navigational guy. Yes, uh, another another crude stereotype. Uh, calling uh, Rafi Lassie, and Rafi's a wee bit fucked up. I'm calling her Lassie. Yeah, he um. He's, he's a bit of an odd one, that one. I'm not quite sure where they were going with that character. If it was a tip of the hat to Scotty, it kind of missed the mark a wee bit. He's he's a nice sort of a character. He's, yeah. I think I don't know whether it's a wrench in his hand and he has an oily rag, possibly. He has tools that I don't think you probably would normally see on, on, a, on a, a spaceship. I, I actually expected him to lift the bonnet of something at one point and stick his head in and maybe use a dipstick. It was all very, it was all very old fashioned, and yeah. Uh, yeah, as you say, he had a woolly hat on, which was, and, and a big woolly jumper, which was definitely more accustomed. You know, it would have been being out there fighting against the Spanish, trying to get your EU fishing rights. He must have some great conversations actually with the Spanish. He 
bitch about fishing rights under EU. Well, I think obviously it is obviously you know a tip of the hat with them being Scottish in a with a terrible Scottish accent. I am of Scottish descent, so I can really tell a bad Scottish accent from a good one. Um, dressing me up like uh, I mean the engineering, the way they dressed him up is because you know it's at its heart Star Trek has a a lean, doesn't it, towards the uh, maritime uh, over everything uh, of a fashion. But it's, you know, Rafi's attempting to work out what on earth is going on uh, with the finding out about people, uh, the, the fact that the response to Soji going on the ship. Now, I loved, I loved that. I could only think of some of our past conversations. When she goes back to her room, she tries to get alcohol <laughs> and she's, <laughs> she's locked herself out of the system. And then another EMH who is with another ludicrous accent. I can't remember where the accent was from, but he is basically like you're when you walk into a restaurant, he is the head waiter. And he's basically saying that you have locked yourself out of the system. You cannot have alcohol because as Joanne pointed out, I'm sure Rafi has been going on her weird benders where she's been seeing shit climbing the walls. Yeah. And in fact, he tells her that she's even locked out of the override override. That's how so she must have been had a very lucid moment where she thought, I don't trust myself at all. Mm. It would be a wee bit like with you if you had one of those at home, you'd go, geez, and and the the entertainment hologram had to come in, no, I'm sorry, James, we had to cut you off. Too much cheese the other night. You've decided that you're you're not allowing yourself any more cheese. I'd be the same admittedly with chocolate. If I end up getting stuck in here in the house for two weeks, you'll not be able to get me out. I'll be like one of the fatties from 2018 <laughs> comics. You need a belly wheel under me to get my stomach out. Though I'll not. I I said last time that I am not like, like Troy. If you unexpectedly turn up my door, living in the arsehole of nowhere, I am not going to be dressed beautifully with my hair and makeup done and clean clothes on. I'm going to be like this mad woman with the hair sticking out all over the place, paint, painted jeans on, and. Uh, and probably, I don't know, some pretend armaments. Because I've probably been up in the garage painting guns again. No, it'll, be, it'll be a very different... Um, I can't even remember now what we're talking about. I've gone off in a complete tangent. Oh, yes. Right. The uh, emergency hospitality hologram. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he can't remember how to make certain teas as well because whenever uh, Rios had set them up and then he went back in again to delete some information, which is obviously about whatever it is that he's trying to blank out because he's in his bedroom at the moment, cry, having a cry and a wank at the same time. Uh, he knocked out some of the the, you know, the more sort of normal bits and pieces from the, the emergency doodas that would be quite useful for instance, like making certain teas. They, they, he can't remember how to make a, a particular tea that was, I think, that the character had appeared in either the old series or, yeah, I think it might have been the old It was the thing, it might have been a reference to one of the original series, a particular brief people. But the weird thing is, you start saying that obviously, you know, the captain needs a confidant. And for some reason, he gets really, really sort of uncomfortably close to Rafi because you see her doing that. She sort of like falls onto a bed trying to get away from him, leaning and talking to her. Uh, but we cut to uh, the captain, the actual, the real captain, not the strange collection of um, uh, his holographic uh, um, uh, compatriots. 
like, uh, you know, carbon copies, whatever. And like Raffi goes to try and help him. He actually tells her to piss off. Um, and Raffi's, uh, sorry, the captain has gone back to his brooding weird self, <laughs> which Raffi once said about him, you know, you can't be usual brooding self. Um, and he's going through like strangely, he has like a cigar box with his stuff in, and it's got his uh, oh, I've just noticed it's got all these uh, pips from his uh, his captaincy in, and like his badge, and then a very badly you know uh, Photoshop version of him when he was younger and his captain, and then you cut to a drawing, which will become very important as the episode goes on, but. Yet again, um, the captain's quarters does look like a student accommodation. There's alcohol everywhere. It looks like a shit tip. It probably doesn't smell very nice. <laughs> it's probably got damp. <laughs> he has books on the shelf as well, some all this existential crisis type shit that students love to go into because it's like, we've never lived like me, man. You don't know what it's like. Uh, whereas if we've all been through it, uh, but they just think they're very unique. But one of the books actually is by the founder of the Vulcan religion, Sarak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he was the one that got Vulcans to, to leave ba- leave behind their violent ways and to be a being of complete logic, to be mm-hmm. completely logical and to leave emotions to the side. So all the other books are in the shelves. That's the only book that note. So is it a book that he maybe re- likes to refer to every so often? And, and he's been reading it recently and hasn't even put it away uh, do you know what I loved actually in that big case he has all mm-hmm. these uh, albums these old vinyls and I thought oh bless him he's a he's got the hair maybe we'll see him on a top knot with a top knot at some point but he also has a load of old vinyls I don't know about you but any old vinyls I have I don't think you'd be able to play them after a few hundred years mine are up in the roof space I reckon they're all warped that's probably very true. I mean, yeah, again, it goes back to my hatred of Morrissey, that in his depressed state, he probably is listening to Morrissey. But um, as you will learn, as you will know, through having listened to the previous episodes, I really hate Morrissey. I don't care how depressed and dank your life is. Morrissey's a tosser. Anyway, um, I've got that out of my system again. So uh, Rafi's having what I consider like the coolest group therapy session with all the different <laughs> versions uh, the holographs and yet again it's just a giant uh like freaking stereotype thing because like but i do like the fact they're all a bit different some are really well groomed which is one comment made by the one that tells you uh you know the the, the um the food one should we say and then you've got like the spanish guy who is i don't know what the spanish guy did was he a navigator no the navigator was the the other the site camp english one the Spanish guy, I don't know what his job was, but he just looks like, you know, he should be in a rock band somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> he was cool as fuck. He was like, I'm too too cool to be here. Look the fact he kept falling asleep. And I'm thinking, you're a hologram. You don't yeah. need... <laughs> Why are you falling asleep all the time? There's an Irish one as well. I can't remember. It was really... Like, I'm sorry, I'm offended with the Irish one. He's definitely... Who stole me lucky star? Um, and... Uh, and then, of course, you've got the Scottish one again. But yes, her idea is that if I get all five of these together, maybe I'll make one complete. But they're fucked too. They've all had wee chunks of their memory taken out. And you can see them trying to download information every so often from a database somewhere and coming back with incomplete information. Or they forgot what they've just talked about, like myself at times, to be honest. I forget why I go off on a tangent and then I can't remember what I'm talking about either. But it's... 
it's quite clever actually and Rafi tries to corral them quite well and tries to get all the information out of them you can tell it's just sort of like worked into an intelligence before because the way she leads them down a certain route to try and get the information out of them quite a nice scene and it's also they all do the all do the kind of the, the cool eye thing uh, but yeah. what I also like is when they all hit themselves in the head to try and give themselves a <laughs> like a, a, give themselves a oh, mental oh. jog uh-huh. I loved the way they did it all at exactly the same time. They all give it, they all give us themselves a, a rattle on the head, and let's face it, we've all done that. Um, yeah, it was it was quite well timed. Being interested to see how that was filmed, how did they do mm. it? Because it was it was well cut together. You you mm. didn't see any, any sort of joins anywhere. You believed that there was five separate people in the room with Rafi at that time, and she she interacted with them very well too. It was a very smart scene. Yeah, to, it, yeah, when he said join, I could think of the uh, the old uh, Eric Markham only wise thing. You can't see the join. You can't see the join. <laughs> well, it was. I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, she does get a wee bit more information. Uh, in fairness, not an awful lot. Just the fact that the captain's hung up about this particular woman and something happened on his old ship. But she still doesn't know what it is yet. But I think she feels that she's got just enough to go and challenge Rios on what is happening with him, why he's taking things so badly when he's seen Suji. Now, we cut from that very nice scene of levity uh, and sort of very coolness to this is going to be a difficult one. Now, if I were, if Joanna and I were in the same place to discuss this, this is the point where I'd have to give Joanna a back massage and say to her, you can do this. It's all right. You can get through this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing this scene. I am picturing this is in the the um, intensive care, isn't it? It is. <laughs> bitch woke up. Is that fucking bitch woke up after tracking herself that time because the tracker that she has that she has eaten um, it was used in one of the Star Trek films where I think is it Spock is trying to track Kirk and he puts some sort of tracking device on him. It's it's on the his same shoulder, thing. yeah. Yes, so it's that's what she swallowed. She swallowed the version of it. instead of just putting it on the woman like she has to flip and chew it. So I still remember it being like a, a chewable multivitamin that the commander would give her. There you go. We can track you. Plus you'll get more vitamin C and vitamin D because we're vitamin. We're very low in vitamin D. And uh, so she finally wakes up. Now she breaks brave and easy. She, she does admit her crimes quite easily. I was waiting for her to maybe protest her innocence a bit, but I give her credit. She doesn't. Admittedly, she still hasn't grown any eyebrows, something that I noticed when I was watching the episode the other night. I thought, that woman's got no eyebrows. That's not against anybody that doesn't have any eyebrows for any particular reason, but with her, it just annoys me even more. I mean, Picard has had his eyebrows trimmed. He's got that old man sort of bushy eyebrows. He's had to have them trimmed. Um, it, I mean, it was this was a very well shot thing, but it was the interesting thing that really what you... I mean, again, you've gone back to a scene where Picard is looking a lot better than he used to. Uh, and you can see a slight bit of hair actually on the back of his head because I've noticed throughout this episode, he, he must have had a really, you know, must have really shaved his hair, what little he has left, really close because this poetry looks like he has no hair at all. Um, but that's, I've got off on a mental tangent, sorry. So a hair tangent, her suit. Um, she saw basically, and it's interesting because they've not, They've 
probably tried with this to try, and I know this will cause you deep anger, John, but they've tried to save the character, the soul of the character of Agnes here, because what she's basically said is, what I've done was appalling, I know it's appalling, but O has messed me up and like put a block in, so I can't discuss what's happened, and I sort of almost can't control myself. So I think they're trying to not make her out to be an entirely awful character. Um, and what I find interesting is that they get some... Inf- they like that word hubris, don't they? But they, um, they're discussing oh, yeah. what has happened, and they're trying to... Yeah, Picard... She starts saying, Picard, what I saw was so appalling that we have to do something about it, but I can't really discuss it, yet I can't control it. Yeah, I think if I had been Picard, I'd be thinking, you're full of shit. Mm. Uh, I don't believe a word you say, but Picard being the decent person, and much better than I am, he gives her, he's happy enough that she's prepared to turn herself into Deep Space 12, which is where they're heading to. Uh, he He's willing to let her throw herself on the judgment of her peers. He's given her more space than I would. Yeah, I, I can understand. She does all the wobbly lip and the big eye bits again, and I'm thinking, no, I still, I still would have shot you. I still would have put you in the space. I don't give a damn. I still think you're very, very dangerous. But mm. yeah, I mean, and he, he's worked out as well. He, he, he actually, he works out that Maddox was her lover, which mm. I thought was quite rich because you didn't see any hanky panky at all between the two of those whatsoever. So I don't quite understand how he thought. Well, Maddox was obviously your lover. Remember the Burley said two words to each other when he beamed on board that time? But he may have already known a bit about them, you know, previously. So we don't, we have to, we'll have to fill in the blanks, as they say. Um, I find it odd, though, when we cut, one thing that really got me, because we then jumped to uh, the captain, Rios, feeling pretty sorry for himself in his cabin. Uh, Rafi just manages to walk into his cabin. And I know it's to they have to do it to move the scene on, but if you're the captain, you're not going to have your doors that can just be opened. You know, there's got to be some level of security, <laughs> unless she's over Rinny. Yeah, she's it's good a, at computers and shit. So true. It, it, it's equivalent of walking in on flight deck on an aircraft and going, "Hello, I've come yeah. in to have a week after the doors been bolted, and uh, you can't get you can't do that anymore. You can." no longer wandering in the flight deck without authorization. But yes, yeah, she, she wanders in after messaging uh, after Tano and him before hello, want to speak to you and he tells her to bugger off. She says, okay, bugger off. She's now able to walk in. So he must release the door catch in some way. So mm. which would suggest me he's probably stop touching himself and he's happy enough to have mm. a visitor. There's no sock <laughs> on the handle outside just to say not really put good for you coming in. Although what we would say is when Rafi does go in the room, is there will be a sock somewhere in the room, and it has been used for a purpose. Whatever she does, is she should not touch that sock. Yeah. That sock was maybe in that cabinet that we just didn't see that scene, but he brings a sock out lovingly from that cabinet. It's maybe stuffed <laughs> in behind this LP somewhere. There's actually a great moment I've just remembered in, in, in this scene as well, where she points over to the cabinet and says, Oh, no, it was the. Uh, what the music's coming from and she says is that your Walkman and it's yeah. a record player yeah in fact if vinyl hadn't come back I reckon a lot of kids that were born from about 
2009, uh, would have probably thought that a record player was a Walkman. Mm. Bear in mind, half of them hardly know what CDs are anymore. It's true. I mean, I still, I somewhere in the house, I actually do occasionally use it. Uh, do you remember mini disc players? Yes. Still got one. Still got the old seed, the old actual mini discs uh, somewhere in the house, uh, and I keep trying to find an actual mini disc to hook up because I still have, a, along with all my other various things like the old, uh, you know, uh, Alexa thing and all this other stuff, I've, and various different stereos. I've got a proper still, you know, sectional stereo system. So uh, think, right. you know. I can always, uh, I sometimes stick it on just like when some of my mates come around for a lap and put hip to be square on, <laughs> which you will get, you, yeah, you get the reference, don't you? Yeah, I do. So you're telling me you're a serial killer. I've said absolutely nothing. Uh, I just oh, have I a lot of newspaper. Yeah, sir, I was just thinking, is that why you handed me a lovely white embossed business card in Liverpool when I met you there last year? Maybe. And when you come to see me, you can, uh, for no reason, I've just got a lot of newspaper on the floor in the living room. <laughs> and you're wearing a Packermack. Oh, I, I love that. I, I love that. That film's just brilliant. The book is quite surreal. I re- really yeah. recommend reading the book because it's, it's quite different from the film. It's a different experience from the film, but it fills in the gaps. But Patrick Bateman was just one of the best characters. Yeah. You'd never been so happy to see, to see somebody kill in all your life. was pure joy every time you did it. It was just infectious. What I do like in that scene in particular is that you actually have a future Batman and a future Joker in a scene together. <laughs> That's true. I have to watch that again sometime. It, it was just it was hilarious. I know I know a friend of mine actually does that character for cosplay. Oh, that's great. I love to see him because he's got the pack mac on and he hands out business cards and he has the like, he has the axe. Oh whenever I, I did that, there's a photo shoot up uh, as you seen I'm going off now on a tangent. And uh, I stood there with a sledgehammer in my hand and somebody put underneath it, was it? Do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah. <laughs> I was really honoured that somebody thought I was a female version of Patrick Bateman. Because he's kind of a hero <laughs> of mine. But I mean, you're right, though, because the book is, I know we're, we are going to come back to Picard, Salty Tadpoles, I promise. But the book is quite more, it's certainly more um, violent. And there's certain things that I can see why they couldn't put them in the films. They would have been far too much. Um, interesting when you mentioned Patrick Bateman. I actually did dress up as him myself, a fancy dress once. Oh, Brilliant. And people could Have you got any tell. Uh, I don't know because this is years ago, but I'll have. A, I'm telling years and years ago. But what I found found interesting is people worked it out pretty quickly who I was supposed to be. Now I've not dyed my hair, but I had my hair enough in the style, uh, and I had I didn't have the axe, but I had enough of that. You know, I pulled off the suit really well and the overcoat and stuff and the tie and the leather gloves. So yeah, people got it very quickly, um, and I was lucky because it was something I threw together just on the spur of the moment. Um, it was pretty warm, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be with all those layers on. But yeah, I, I don't understand. It's funny, actually, it's one of those ones you don't see done that often, and yet it's yeah. not. 
it probably getting a Walkman would be the hardest bit, but certainly it's it's a it's wonderful. And whenever you see it, the odd time, and people who know it, they just go mad whenever they see someone dressed that way. I I love it when people do off the wall characters, ones that you don't expect. It makes a change from Harlequins and Jokers and whatever. And the Witcher is going to be another one everybody's dressed as. Mm. Suddenly you see somebody that's been original and, and picked up something that not everybody's going to know, but they're still doing it. Because they're doing it for them. They're not doing it for the likes and they're not doing it for the Instagram hits. And they're doing it because they love the character. It's very true. Now, going back to Picard, um, uh, Agnes is left to talk to Soji and she's... It's, it's sweet. I know you're not a fan of Agnes, but this is, a, to me anyway, this is a sweet scene because she's sort of learning about all the amazing things she can do and she's having quite an emotional reaction to it. Um, and then basically we get, it cuts back to Rafi and she's sort of pulling uh, Rios out of his uh, hangover because he's now drinking black coffee because she returned the favour of getting him coffee to sort out his hungover ass. Um and he's basically saying that, you know, he was really close to his captain, that things were going great. And then suddenly, well, I've sort of got ahead, but we're going to, it's jumping too much backwards and forwards. But the captain basically discusses the fact that um, his captain uh, was greeted by this girl who was pretty much exactly looked like Soji. And he assassinated the was it an admiral who came on board with Soji or a diplomat, and he killed them because he was basically feeling that. Um, well, I think allegedly he'd been told that they were that the animal uh, the the. Um, ooh, I'm blathering here. This is going to be a lot of cutting from me on my talking. Um, but he basically had assessed that they were a threat, and he saw them as being. Um, the synthetics they were. Have I got that right? Does that sound about sure. right? I think what had happened was he was aware that he was to look for anybody that was synthetic. I think Beautiful Flower, was, was, which is an unusual name, was the one that um, came on board with Ghana, uh, the suit. And he radioed back, I believe, to Starfleet. We have some of those, some of them on board, and he had the orders to get rid of them. Uh, obviously a final sort of solution to get rid of them, just just shoot them, kill them. And mm. uh, so this comes as a complete shock to Rios, who's there at the time. That photograph was so badly CGI. That photograph was as badly CGI as the last episode of, of uh, Picard Thaddeus, the son of, of Troy and Riker. Uh, you just think, my God, look, got all this beautiful CGI uh, I mean, Seven of Nine can pull things out of the sky and blah, blah, blah. And there's all the, the starscapes. And then you get these really awful, awful, awful photographs. Uh, and I don't know I don't know why they're letting themselves down. But whoever it is, it might have some student then. Like, what are we giving them to do? Look, we need a couple of photographs CGI'd. I fuck it. It'll only be on the screen for a couple of seconds. But meanwhile, everybody's noticing how really dreadful they are. But 12-year-old, because that's what he looks like. He... He admired his captain so much. He used to think of, he would call him pops in his head, mm. uh, which was, I don't know what it was like, some sort of sexual weird reference, call me daddy type thing. But he, I don't think he ever called the cap. But uh, yeah, he challenges uh, Captain 
with his face and the man shoots himself in the head, which would probably have been a hell of a shock to Rios at the time. You can imagine having an argument with somebody and going, well, I'm finishing this argument by shooting myself. It's not mm. the normal response. So the captain felt really bad about it. But I, I think as well that he had been told that if he didn't get rid of the two if the captain didn't get rid of the two uh, that they would actually blow up the ship. So he must mm. have felt that if he killed himself, he would take the secret to his grave. Now, poor Rios, he's, he's left to deal with the ship. Yeah. He beams him into space to get rid of the proof and also changes the, the logs to show that they So poor Rios completely covers it up, goes back to his job, and then they put him out six months after that with PTSD. Which explains really why he's in such a horrendous situation, why he's so, like, so, well, for why I guess he's in, he's sort of like the cagey character he is. I do notice he dropped the F-bomb again. <laughs> so we've had it twice. You know, I, think we, I think we get it three times in this episode. I, there must be something wrong with me that I don't even notice anymore when people fuck, pardon the expression. But, uh, you know, whenever they say that word in front of me, obviously if they fuck in front of me, I'm going to notice that one, but I only remember the one fuck. <laughs> I'd need to watch it again to pick up the other ones. But I love the, personally, I love the little situation between Agnes and Soji, how Agnes is sort of like discussing, saying all the little, well, just discussing her, saying like, you know, when Noonien Singh created Daytree, he didn't put in certain flaws and she's saying things like do you have mold or beauty spots moles she's saying i've got you know they're on they're on my face and that's a wonderful thing you've been created and it's just a nice relation uh, not a relationship but a nice little bit of communication because clearly agnes is like marveling how, how wonderfully created soji is but when it cuts back to them, I love this moment. And it's like it's a bit of a chilling look from Soji where she says, Well we we like were you sent to kill me? And she's sort of saying, I will not give you the chance to do that sort of thing. It's a real look. You know, there's no way you're gonna be able to do that. You'll never get that opportunity. And that's like a real hard look she gives Agnes, who's like, Well, I won't do it now that I've seen you. I mean, I thought it was strange initially that they would leave Agnes with her. Um, because you're thinking, could she hurt Soji? Then you realise Soji would probably just break Agnes's neck once she she tried anything. <laughs> it was one of those. So so you, uh, Commander Ogo has sent you to kill me as well. Yeah, and as Soji practically said to her, "I will cut a bitch." That's what it really yeah. was. <laughs> Come at me, bitch, and I will cut you. I will cut you where you stand. And I think if Agnes doesn't see the threat from Soji at that point. As you say, she's marvelling at her. She's got over, oh my goodness, these people are up. They, these things are are disgusting and they should be done away with. They're going to threaten humanity too. I, I'm just amazed at that. You, I mean, Soji tells her that one of her toes is, is misshapen as well. And, and this just blows Agnes's mind because she realised that there's so much creativity has been put into making Soji that, as you say, that even Nuni and Soji, he didn't have that vision and he didn't have that capability. He was trying to make something still maybe slightly too perfect, but whoever made Soji recognised the flaws in humans and celebrated them. And that's what makes her even more of a wonderful creation than those that had gone before her. Well, I have to say, if Angus likes weird toes, if she came to see me, she'd be like, you know, she'd just be like on cloud nine of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should show her your elbow. My elbow, my toes, oh man, I break, I had to explode. But I think the interesting thing is, if you think Agnes, and it, uh, I do think they're definitely trying to like bring her character back to being a nice character because 
when we first saw Agnes, she was, you know, like a, she was a bit of idiot and she wasn't so, so really aware of all the stuff that would be going on around her. She's this girl who's basically spent her time being a scientist and she's absolutely enamored when she finds out about this creation of synthetic life. And she's up to the, well, she was still, I suspect this nice, lovely character when she was sat on the bench, Commander O basically then, to a degree, brainwashes her, basically. And that's where she gets this hatred and fear of the synths. The question I'm asking, Joanne, is do you think, or do you, do you, do you agree with what I say on the fact that maybe Agnes, the, the, the negative, nasty side of Agnes, was never really Agnes? It was just something that was, like, rammed into her head and forced upon her. To a certain degree, she was mind-raped. I think that's maybe mm. a bit of a strong statement, but yeah, her she was invaded. Uh, mm. She wouldn't have agreed to that, I don't think. If Commander O had said to her, this is exactly what I'm going to do, she just launched in there without, there was no consent given. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think by nature, because she was just really bad at it. Okay, she succeeded in her mission to kill Maddox. Uh, I don't know how she would have done it if he on board and didn't need some sort of medical assistance though. I think she might have had a hard time. I'd love to have seen whether she could have gone through with it if he hadn't been so injured. If he hadn't been mm. so vulnerable. Could she have had would she have had the strength to uh, I think probably she is a good person at heart. Uh her defence in court could be insanity. And mm. it could be argued actually that it was that it was insanity and, and the fact that Commander O has left her with the inability to say she was really nasty because she can't even describe what she can't even share the vision with them to justify mm. her her action. But seeing Soji seems to have been enough to break that conditioning, which is interesting. I I think we're seeing the redemption of the character. I still don't really like her. I still think she's a very weak character and maybe an unnecessary character as well. I do think if you took her out of a lot of it, uh, she's inconsequential. I know her actions had had big meanings, but. I think they could have nearly been done by anybody. I'm glad it wasn't Rafi. Uh, now mm. I've actually got quite grown to like Rafi. Rafi's grown on me. She's off the off the supporting characters. I think she's maybe one of the best apart from Laris. She's definitely yeah. coming into her own. Yeah, I, Agnes is a bit of a throwaway character. Um, I, I think is it cliche that the mirror blonde and whimpery mm. could be argued that wasn't very imaginative use of a person. Why could that person not have been male? Yeah, well, I think with Agnes, she's definitely. I'd probably describe her the the way they've made a look, the way they've certainly before she got the little bit of the turncoat in her, she was uh, the giggly schoolgirl. She's the giggle to me. She's the giggly nerdy schoolgirl sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. She just needed a little school uniform, and uh, I probably would have that would have just set the tone. But I think they could have maybe done with her. Done with her a bit more. She's just, just a disappointing character. Yeah. Mm. After her, I put Rios, but I definitely would put Rafi at the top. Uh, mm. Elmo, tends to forget about him at times because he just kind of disappears every so often. He's maybe developed a wee bit more in this particular episode. You see more of him. You see more of his his values. I think he's starting to become interesting. Though I think if they run to another series, it will, it'll take another series before we get, really get to know Elmo. The only problem I have with Elmo is that he has one of the most inconsistent accents ever. His, his accent, that is true. it's horrendous, because one minute he's English, then 
he goes to back. Is he Australian or is he a Kiwi? I'm not sure where he's from originally. Uh, he's he's a Kiwi. My apologies to Evan. Yeah, I who plays him. He's he's a Kiwi. Um, so speaking of him, we're back on the ship, and uh, Narissa is basically doing her most. Uh, well, Peyton List is at that point playing her best version of an evil Nazi commandant. Um, you know, in the mold of Ray Fiennes in um, Schindler's List, where she's just going around shooting and killing people with no real interest or care. And then it just gets really, really, really fucking good because uh, Seven of Nine gets plugged in to the uh, the system, the collective. Now, the only thing I didn't like on this is that the tubes looked a little too obvious CGI that went into a back. Um, but that's just me being pedantic. But what I would have liked, what I personally would have liked and was really hoping for upon viewing is that I was thinking, is there any chance that she's going to turn in that when they plug her all in, she's no longer going to be seven and she'll suddenly turn into the Borg queen. Yes. The proper Borg queen rather than the, yeah. Yeah. rather than just her. Yeah. I, I would also love to know how they got those tubes into her back through her jacket. I love mm. I love the fact that her jacket, whenever it was, and I thought from a, what I love from a costume point of view was the fact that whenever the tubes went through the jacket, it didn't cut the jacket, which I, I think is, is great because ever trying to put costume bits together, oh, it's a disaster because you think I need to put that with there, but I'm going to have to cut holes in that. But anyway, it goes through the material without damaging it. But it's the fact that the, the design on her jacket is actually vertebrae and that lights up. I think that was just excellent. Now, I'm wondering if anybody cosplays Seven of Nine, how they're actually going to do. Well, I can think of ways, actually, about putting EL wire in there to make all that light up. But I'm hoping if somebody does it, they do that version of Seven of Nine with all the lighty up bits because she completely rocks it. Also, her hair is lovely in that scene. I have to say, I was admiring her hair. I thought, my it's got quite long. It looks lovely. I like the wave. I like the colour of it. That's because I fancy her so much. Um. Yeah, it was a cracking scene. It's it's the scene we've all to see to see um Annika turn into the Borg Queen. Interesting that she wasn't the Borg Queen that, that we've seen in, in other um uh, instances of her. She was a she was the complete person rather than the bits of something that the other Borg Queens have been. Where only the sort of the chest up is still humanoid in any way and the rest of it is parts. Because mm-hmm. they did like the change in her eye colour, which you never saw with the thing, but I was with the 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 Alice Krieg ball queen. But I was really hoping they might morph her into Alice Krieg. I was kind of hoping that might be something we saw actually, an entire morphing of the character. I thought that could have been quite an interesting way to do it, but it's obviously not the way they, they wanted to go. But I just thought, how cool would it have been if she suddenly became Alice Krieg? Yeah. Now, I understand why they kept her the way she did, because that ties into what happens later on in another mm-hmm. scene as to why she still looks like she does. Because if they mm-hmm. had a more after something else, uh, it kind of, well, they'd have to have unmorphed her again for her to say a particular sentence that she says later on in the episode. Yes. Yeah. And I agree. That's probably where the shift came. But I just think, again, because well, we've in these uh, these reviews, we've now sort of said how we would change things, uh, what influence, how we would have ran with it. I think to have a change to Alice Krieg, who I'm pre- I was told would be appearing at some point. So maybe it's for the future stuff or maybe I've just been lied to. But I've been told 
it could have been Alice Krieg. Yeah, I was hoping it might she might become Alice Krieg, and the impression I got is Alice Krieg will appear, but maybe Alice Krieg will appear later on. We're getting close to the end. Maybe she'll appear at the end, or maybe I've been given complete right. false information. We shall see. Uh, it would be exciting to see her. I mean, especially if say seven and nine becomes the queen again. If there's a wee bit of a wrestling to get the, the collective back. Ah, uh, yeah. Could it be that that particular board cube becomes part of the collective again and Alice takes it back from Annika? Don't know. Oh. Kind of ex- Yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to happen there. That would be so cool. I mean, I'm hoping. I think it'd be great they could just bring the board queen back a bit. I know my my want was to have uh, Riker in the last episode, and I still argue that the episode we saw with Riker could have worked as a finale, but we are close. We're only two episodes actually off the finale. So, um, after our wonderful experience of seeing Seven and Nine go all sexy and dark-eyed, which maybe will, excuse me, will become more apparent um, in a moment, um, Agnes is allowed back into the general population. Now, Talking talking to Joanne at this point, it's... Sorry, go on. It's true, actually. Yeah, I like that she's, she's allowed back into Gen Pop again because Soji is actually... Ironically, Soji is the one that brings her out. Yeah. And she makes the comment, I'm not going to murder anybody, where everybody looks really shocked. It's like a bad thing. What I find weird is I was getting... Made, and this is where I love the fact I got you to talk to. Uh because you are sort of like the person speech on these sort of things. So the clothing very much on Soji and the whole way this was um, shot. I've said this before. I kept thinking of alien. Right. Oh, you, tell me why you thought that. Now. I'd be interested to see because I'm trying to, I'm trying to appear on an all intelligent back with my answer. And I'm trying to think, why did yeah. you think it's alien? <laughs> You've got to explain well, to it. Me- to, to me, it was the whole setup of the way they're all sat around the table again. They're all sort of discussing sort of paranoia and dealing with the system. They pretty much dress Soji. She was really giving me in her clothing, like her overall style stuff, a real Ripley vibe to what she had on. And also, I suspect that on another thing of looking at it, where she pretty made me think of Ripley, is that really she was sort of like saying the entire thing, don't fuck with me at this point, you know, do not. She was a very, very Soji had gone from being sort of like a bit of a weak character to a really, really strong character. So probably that's where I got the the alien vibe from. I think. Yeah, that's a really good point because she, she does go from being. Yeah, she she kind of has a Ripley moment where she's listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Nobody's fucking listening to me. Therefore, yes, I take charge. yes. And that's probably where the push came from for me. I think they were trying to give her that very much a strong, empowered woman. But a lot of it, I'm going to most was the clothing quite a bit. Came with this big thing towards it. But it's just, again, the way I get a lot of the alien vibe off the way they're doing it is they're not on these, the, the usual Star Trek thing you always saw was these beautiful, pristine, big cruiser ships. And now you're seeing them all in a very confined space, having... Close, you know, in close quarters to one another, and the big alien thing for me is they're having discussions about how an alien and aliens about how screwed up things basically are, how things are going horribly wrong, which was not something you would normally equate with uh, Star Trek. I would equate those sort of discussions with Alien. 
Yes, that that's true. I that that close confines. Yeah, it, it was quite a nice exchange of ideas because the one thing I had forgotten actually that uh, Rafi had got from the EMHs was the notion of the eight the eight suns round a planet. She had talked before about the collection, the collective of eight, and she thought it was some sort of conspiracy. But one of the EMHs goes that would be some sort of not binary system because that's only two, but some octa something or other. Uh, of systems and she thought is that not showing off and one of the images has said no it could have been there's a warning I had, that's one of those critical things I'd completely forgotten about when I was watching because they, they start discussing at that point as well don't they start discussing Rafi start discussing her, her theories again I think mm-hmm. well what they say is the fact that and to me felt a wee bit late I've got to point felt a wee bit lazy because they decide to go with the fact that the Romulans are the bad guys, which is a wee bit lazy because the Romulans have always sort of been the bad guys, but I was wondering if they could have come out with something a bit less expected. But you do get to see, I mean, the, what we will say, Soja has a really weird taste in food because um, the captain, uh, Rios, has the ability to, because he, he knew her previously as uh, the girl who got killed in front of him on the ship, he seems to have some knowledge of what she likes to eat, which is French fries and some sort of weird mint drink. Maybe some yeah, mint coffee. Yes, that was a bit strange, wasn't it? How did he know that? That that strikes me that he had a relationship with Dana, the Soji lookalike. Because I got the way first to told us that it sounds like they're only on the ship for a short period of time but for him to know something as strange as that and the fact that he remembered that as well now okay i know that coming up to points in trauma whether they recognize the fact that you will remember things leading up to the traumatic event so unless she had had that quite close to whenever the captain shot the both of them i don't know i thought that was maybe slightly very, it was a very personal observation for someone that was maybe just collateral damage in the, during the loss of his captain. Or could it be the fact he does make the comment? He says, you know, like you like this, don't you? Think it's great. I think it's just like disgusting. So it could be the fact that it just stuck in his head as being such a weird, disgusting, you know, thing to him. Um, but we do get again. We're lucky enough to see. So she goes, well, this is where, again, she, she sort of like goes into like an autopilot, what's built into her, into programming, because he, uh, she, sorry, she goes to the front of the ship, she starts to try and fly it somewhere, she puts up the shield, uh, or the, is she, no, shield's not the right word, is it? She puts up like a, the, um, yeah, shield, whatever, that stops her getting onto the bridge. What were you saying, sorry? Oh, yep, yep, Sheila, you're absolutely right, because she has found out from them that they are now flying deep space because Picard had given us that he was taking her. That was his big thing back on the planet, back on that other planet with the, the Rikers. He was taking her home. What, in fact, he's doing is taking her to deep space 12. They're going to deep space 12 to rendezvous with Starfleet. So she's got it by this. As far as, as, far as probably so, Jesus, she's been lied to again. Ricardo promised to take so 
she has all these technical abilities and she takes oh she takes over control of the ship and I, I quite like the fact that she had put put up this between her and Rios because mm. well, he, he's completely fucked off the fact that he's she's basically hijacked hijacked his ship which he has so much emotional connection to yeah because he's shouting at the uh, the well the the emergency holograms and they can't do anything but then he does this weird thing and I don't quite get it why it works and I want to see what your theory on it is he sings to a, a, a lullaby in Spanish that seems to suddenly deactivate her from doing it it didn't make an, an awful lot of sense that really sure didn't there, yeah. there must have been some override in it like you remember in, in TNG they would have often used their security codes to get yes access, you know Card access code, blah 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 blah. I love the always the way they always set out uh, their access codes in front of everybody. I thought they're not particularly security conscious. Here's my access code, everybody. Just stay Picard, blah 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 blah, and you'll be able to do whatever it is. Whereas his access code is actually a lullaby. I suppose it could work. It, it, but interesting that Soji's able to take over the ship, but with all her computing power, she doesn't even think to check for an override. <laughs> <laughs> but they go toe to toe and then basically the um you know Picard steps in and basically says, Well we've tried everyone else's way of doing things. Let's try what in fact I'm gonna call it Ripley from now on. No. He's <laughs> just like, you know, we'll try Yeah, we'll try well well for this episode I'll say we'll try Ripley's way of doing things. So we get a lovely point where Picard sits in the captain's chair. We even get the Star Trek theme playing. And then, <laughs> then Picard goes, actually, I, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like whenever uh, you, you take over a game, uh, you know, because I haven't played games in years. And if anybody handed me a games console now, I go, I don't know. This isn't the Nintendo way. I don't know how to fucking play this thing. But he, he doesn't. He, he has to admit it. I thought it was quite geeky of him, actually, sitting in the in the captain's chair. Without any deference at all to Rios at that point, just automatically sits down, puts his arms up, and realizes it's a hell of a lot easier than just flinging those around. And Rios is quite good about it. It's the second time that Picard has tried to take over the flight deck without Rios' mm. permission, and Rios has caught him some slack. I think the only reason why Rios has caught him some slack is because of his age. His age, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you've also got to think he's going to have deference to Picard because he was a captain, Picard was an admiral. But, yeah. But, I mean, I think a lot of the thing with Picard is he probably just goes into almost like, you know, uh, um, autopilot mode with it to do it. But, yeah, I mean, again, you see this great thing. You see the change in Soji where she sort of starts programming the computer and they just they follow uh, her plan so, of doing things. Picard. Picard is lucky that Rios is happy enough to take over at that point. I was actually quite pleased that Rios as well was willing to, to go with him. And he actually says to Soji, because it was some sort of trans-warp dimensional thing that Soji was able to tap into because she'd been on the Borg Cube and that's how they used... They, I mean, the Borg can time travel as well as we can see, but they can also go through space an awful lot quicker than any, everybody else. But uh, she, she has worked out how to get them to her home planet within a matter of weeks. But mm. Rio's sister, were you going to do that without, you know, making sure that the ship would go through it securely? And she kind of agrees with them that she hadn't thought of that. 
Now we cut back to the cube, and it's they've, they've, the problems they've had is uh, they were trying to get uh, well. Seven was trying to. She plugged herself in, and she was trying to activate the uh, the Borg on the ship, or possibly even before she plugged in. And basically, uh, Nerissa was actually sort of getting them vented out to space. So Seven took it up a notch because um, they were losing. She was losing her Borg uh, family, so to speak. Seven. Mm-hmm. So she basically got the. How's the easiest way to describe it? They almost reclaimed Borg, uh, then went and attacked Narista, and were really actually overpowering her pretty well, and, and were going to, it looked like, sort of finish her off. But Narissa beamed herself out, didn't she? Uh, and then it was interesting to see when they got, because you know, the, the, the Romulans fly off in the, the warbird sort of thing, were saying, uh, you know, Seven makes the point, well, they've gone, we're finished. And uh, Elnor Tentra says, you know, he, he can see he's worried if were you going to assimilate me. And it was interesting to see that she then basically says, no, Annika's got things to do. Yep. And they they uh, power her down, as it were, from the cube. It, it was yeah. a, it was a great scene. And that, to me, is why they made her still look like Seven of Nine, why they still made her look like Annika. Annika has yes. other still has work to do because you could see Elmo going, oh shit, oh this is great, this is great, this is great. Oh bollocks, I'm a, I could be assimilated. And I felt so sorry for Seven because after seeing the Borg as evil and nasty and and autonomous creatures before, this this season has shown us a different side of the Borg. The Borg is victims. It has. Yeah. And they all get blown out into space and she would feel every single one of her new children dying out there because they've been spaced. She would feel, I mean, there was thousands of them. She would have felt mm. every single one of those deaths. No wonder she, she screams out at that point. I felt so sorry for her because I thought, how much more is this woman going to lose in this series? Because mm. it could be tens of thousands. Suddenly it could be hundreds of thousands. We don't know how many a cube holds. I mean, well, clearly it holds an awful lot of people. Uh, but yeah, you see it. And it really obviously takes a physical and emotional toll on her. Because you see when it disengages from her, she's sort of worn, isn't she? She's spent. Um, mm. We cut back then to Picard. And I, I just love this little scene where Picard is reminiscing about when he was working on the Stargazer. Uh, discussing the fact that he he'd once been on like the night shift and thought, you know, I'm comp- I was completely on my own observing, or I felt like I was completely on my own observing everything go by, including space go by. And he has a nice little come up where he's talking to um, uh, Rios, the reminiscing about somebody they knew jointly um, and the reaction. Uh, and again, you you see that the level Picard was at, he would know some people and people would know him. And he's discussing the fact that he actually knew, um, you know, Rios's former captain or admiral or whatever he, he is, you know, his former senior officer. And he said, like, I didn't know him, but I knew him by reputation. And I just think it's a nice little scene to see them talking. And he begins to learn more about the situation when, um, uh, you'll have to forgive me, I can't remember what they said she was called, uh, but the uh, the the person who Soji seems to have yet again been modelled upon was being down to on the ship, and he's trying to learn what happened there. Yeah, uh, it's Jana, you called the, the Soji lookalike. I think it's Jana or Jana, whatever. Yeah. 
It's one of those pronunciations. But what was also nice as well was there was that whenever you have a chat with somebody who's in the same job as you and you go, did you know so-and-so? They go, no, no, I didn't. But I work with somebody who worked closely with them. And yeah. they start telling you the stories of somebody they'd never actually worked with. And one of the people that's mentioned, Rios's old captain served with another one. I think, I don't know whether that person, whether she had been his captain, but it was, her name was Marta. And she is actually in an episode with Picard where Picard looks back on his life and it's one that's cues in, cues in and it's where he gets stabbed through the heart. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. He, um, the people that he's in Starfleet Academy with, one of which is a girl. And uh, because Picard has gone back in time, he gets the option to try and to try and do uh, things. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, do you remember he has sex with a girl? Um, it yes, was quite yes. worried at the time. He was like early 20s and he was in his 50s and he's snogging away at this young thing. But that was her. That was Marta, who uh, they have sex at the time. And they realize that they don't. It's not really for them. And the relationship, the closeness is lost. And they drift apart. But he, but in that's the alternative timeline. But in this timeline, they were really good friends. So it turns out that Rios's captain has served with her. So it is one of those, I know so-and-so and such and such. And it, it's a nice way of connecting with people, actually, is whenever you stop putting people in boxes, and then you look for the commonality between you both. And that's their mm. commonality. And I think barriers that maybe they didn't even realise themselves they had erected at that time have come down just because of that shared history. And what you're also sort of seeing, going back to the fact I said Star Trek has the huge um, analogy of seafaring. It's this thing of almost like you you can imagine it, you know, two captains on a ship late at night out in the sea somewhere having that sort of conversation or two members uh, of the Navy somewhere reflecting on what they have to do and deal with. Uh, and it ties in perfectly to, as he said, about the fact of, you know, traveling at speed, at warp, sort of seeing these this thing's happening when I was an ensign and feeling I was the only person around who ever saw this. And then uh, our standing for Ripley in this episode, <laughs> Soji, comes along and basically says, right, let's go for it, let's do it. Do you trust me? And they're going, yeah, we'll do it. And she, uh, they go into a wormhole, I believe. Yeah, it's something that the, 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 the way that the Borg travelled, that's why they, they were able to carry, you know, go across largest expanses of time and space was because they, they use some sort of trans warp duda and she's able to tap into that. I think it's because of her time in the cube. She picked up an awful lot of information all around her naturally. Yes. Cause, yeah, because yeah, yep. she says that, doesn't she? Like, I don't know how I know all this sort of stuff, but clearly I sort of know this stuff. But she also makes a reference, I think, like you said, to actually stuff she learned while being with the on the cube. Yeah, I'm sure she says that. She does, yeah. Because when you think about it as well, uh, in the early episodes, she knew she knows an awful lot about Romulan customs and what had happened before in terms of what had happened on the cube. And she, it's the same thing again. She's picking up information without even realising. One part, I can't remember whether, whether was it earlier on in the episode that we learned that the reason why the cube was uh, separated from the collective was because Ramda, who was on it, who is Nerissa's aunt, mm-hmm. her, grief, her grief was so much, because it must have just happened after the grief planet, her grief was so strong that she actually severed the the collective, that, that, that cube from the collective, because because she was so 
damage from the vision that she had had at that time. So it's great in this episode. There's so much going on in this episode that it's almost like they're fannied around for a few of them and now they need to move the story on. So finally we find out why the cube was uh, separated. I love the fact that Nerissa actually at that stage says her aunt as well, who's still in a coma, they would have been better assimilating me. And she says, resistance is futile. And I thought, yeah, you, you could have carried off the Borg. That was, I can't believe we've forgotten about that scene in particular, but that that was, her delivery of, of that was fantastic. Well, they go, I mean, I do like just to fill the episode, as the episode comes to an end, you see using the old compass, which may or may not be working again, that she got off uh, Riker's daughter, um, or yeah. sorry, the Riker's daughter. Uh, and then as they go into the thing, you see a little ship going, which I'm assuming has, uh, what's his face on? Her ex-boyfriend. Oh, gosh, you know what? I never thought of that. I just automatically assumed it was Nerissa. But then, because she gets beamed off the board cube whenever the XBs are attacking her and it looks bad for her, uh, she, I, I assume that she got beamed into one of, what's it, Snakehead or whatever they're called, those, those wee ships that definitely yeah. look like snow speeders to me. But I never thought, yes, that Narak has been stalking them all that time. You're right, it's got to be Narek. The reason I think it's Narek is it's a smaller ship, and the one that Nerissa went on was a big, big thing. Ah. Yeah. Because I, I, I noticed some of the smaller ships were around it, it never registered with me. Yes, that makes more sense. Ooh, good one. I, I, that, that, I was lost. That, that, I completely lost that. I'd seen the ship and just assumed it was Nerissa, but yes, Narek. I wonder will we have seen a redemption for Narek as well, actually, through this? Uh, I would prefer not. Because <laughs> I think he's just annoying, but I prefer not. But, you know, I prefer him to get shot or something, but that's just my prejudice. Uh, but I'm going to give you something. I just, I am, I'm interested to see what you think. So, and you just hit this one in my head. So what you mentioned earlier that uh, Narissa says the resistance is futile, line that they've been better assimilating me. How would you feel if, say, Nerissa had been assimilated and she became the Borg Queen? Oh, she would be an amazing Borg Queen. I think yeah. she would be most ambitious uh, Machiavellian lethal Borg Queens that there had ever been. She could just take over the whole, the whole of the cosmos. Yeah. Nothing would be safe. She would have everybody assimilated in about 10 minutes. Imagine. That would be exceptional. So seriously, you know, please listen to me, Picard, next season, people. Bring me on. Bring me and Joanne on. We'll write for you. Yeah, you might find that Nerissa's naked an awful lot through every episode, but, you know, just think of viewing figures that you're going to get. We'll just, <laughs> but we'll look up. The next episode, next series isn't called Picard. It's just called Nerissa. Yeah. That's it. Just 10 episodes of just her wandering around. As we perv over like the disgusting <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I want a few episodes. I mean, definitely the uh, we can go pervy. I also want a lot of the episodes with her in the tight dark outfit she wears. But that's one for uh, John and I to discuss probably privately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would suggest that that is one for the wank bank. <laughs> that's the one for where they have to actually pay money like in a patreon where we we the after dark yeah us <laughs> us reviewing things after dark 
The the uh, guest starring role would of course have to be seven of nine. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so, what would you give that out of ten, Joanne? Well, I thought it was I thought it was the best episode we've had since episode one, so I would be inclined to give it an eight and a half. I think I'd give an episode one a nine, not just as good, but I'm not sure now whether that was more the novelty of the of the episode. But yes, I thought it was very good. At last. They've thought, let's do something with the storyline. Everybody's now here. Even Soji has become a member of the crew. I didn't actually expect mm-hmm. that. Like, I kind of, I suppose it was always going that way, but it still caught me by surprise. Uh, we now have all our characters stop fanning around and get on with the story because they have a hell of a lot to cram into two episodes. Yeah, I mean, what I could see, what I could definitely see happen is you. It was definitely a better story. It's definitely better written. I mean, I still absolutely adored the last one because we saw Riker and Troy. Uh, I could see that they hit the stride a bit more with it. And you could certainly see they'd made everyone look, as strange as it sounds, they made everyone look healthier if you get my drift. Everyone's looking a bit more empowered, a bit stronger. I mean, Picard wasn't looking this one tired, frail person. He was looking more like, you know, Patrick Stewart as opposed to tired out 94-year-old Picard. Um, as for figures, what figure would I give it out of 10? Um, probably, yeah, eight, eight and a half, I think. Uh I did. I liked it. It was fast paced. It kept your attention. Um, I've, I'm really interested. I, I am now, unfortunately, doubting myself on uh, my ability to, to to see the future as well as I once was. For what will happen? So I'm a bit lost on what the next two episodes could be. But I am still clinging to this idea that we're going to see at some point Alice Krieg um, appearing. I mean, I would have put, as you know, I was really sort of hankering against, uh, hankering and hoping that they would have the last episode with uh, Riker in, but I still think that could have served perfectly as a final episode, but I wonder if we will see the appearance of Alice Krieg as the Borg Queen. Taking her children back from from Anarchy Mm. again. I love the fact that what I absolutely adored about that particular scene, because I think some of the the Borg bits were my absolute favourite, I think yeah. if I'd had a job being the Borg, I probably would have given it close to a 10. Because whenever those poor those poor lads and lassies are blown into space, I actually shouted no at the same time. It was one of the most exciting parts, I think, of the of the whole series so far, was that mm. her changing into the Borg Queen. Uh, mm. it, I can't remember where I'm going with this. <laughs> That's my Picardness coming in. Um, yes. Anyway, talk amongst yourselves there, because Joanna's completely lost her train of thought because I'll be thinking about seven and nine again. This is what happens whenever, <laughs> whenever I think about that woman, and I can't fucking remember where I was. I had a very valid point there, and I can't remember what it was. So talk away at four o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm going to wake up and remember and go, oh, I was supposed to be saying such and such, and I forgot about it. So prepare for Skype call at about four or five in the morning as I tell you what my thoughts were. It's all good. I'll probably awake anyway. Um <laughs> But it was no. I think I think the reason I'm unsure what they will do is the fact that as you as we were discussing, you know, you've got seven of nine having the ability where she became the queen for a burst, for a short burst. I think it would be good to see Alice Krieg back in as 
the Borg Queen, the real Borg Queen, to either try and exact her revenge against the Romulans and reclaim her build her, you know, power. I mean, they might even go all sort of Marvel Thanos style and just have her appearing for an image. Um yes. or maybe not or maybe not at all. But I I'd always held out this hope that, as I said, Riker would be there having a chat with Picard before he goes on. But we've had that, and I love the way they did it, and I will never be against that. But well, we're going to have this teaser of of a. It would be idiotic, in my opinion, to not have a teaser of of the Borg Queen or some established character. I mean, another interesting idea is what if they brought back Q in some form? Oh no, that would be good. That, that one would be, I loved Q. Q's one of my absolute favourite characters. And I have just remembered, I don't need to ring you at four o'clock in the morning because I've just remembered where I was going with my last conversation. The fact that the Borg respect or acknowledge Annika as an individual. Yes. That was so surprising. That's what I wanted to say. Absolutely shocked at that because they don't see the individual. I mean, Q, whenever he was reassimilated back into his cube again, his his own individual individualism actually disconnected his board cube from the collective. So generally speaking, individualism isn't welcomed by the Borg. But on this occasion, I think they've seen that as a weapon. I think they see seven. I think they see Annika, not necessarily seven of nine, but I see they think they see Annika as like an angel of vengeance. That mm. they, they are permitting to live. I, I want to see where they're going to go with that. And that is the time then they, they could bring in the original Borg Queen to take it back from her again. Uh, because if Seven of Nine was allowed to run her local area network, then it would be a very different collective from the rest of the Borg. It would be a different species. Uh I'm not sure exactly in what way, but you just get the sense that they would be, I think they'd nearly be more lethal in some ways. I don't think they'd maybe go out there and assimilate everybody else, but I think they could be a very lethal force in their own right. Mm. Well, I think that is a, probably a wonderful time for us to wrap up, a wonderful time, wonderful point even for us to wrap up on. Are we going to be proven right? I would hope so. In some manner, we're going to be proven right because I've really been enjoying being a uh, uh, Nostradamus for the series so far, even though I've had a bit of a wobble. So on that on that note, on that bombshell, as I am inclined to say, uh, we've been talking of Codswallop, as, uh, uh, enough cinematic Codswallop, certainly. Um, so I've been James. And I've been Joanne. And we will speak to you and review for you in the future very, very soon. Adios.